0: at best served podcast now here is your host what's up everybody jensen cummings here thank you as always for tuning in today's best served podcast 351 very excited to be talking new african cuisine in the diaspora with zoe Ajonia of zoe's ghana kitchen tell your best story episode number 10 this tell your best story tybs we have to tell stories the food is just the proof that you are who you say you are and i'm excited to learn a a little bit about african scene a little bit about west african cuisine a little bit about ghana and a little bit about zoe you know that's what i am compelled to do all of you love to hear the human experience of food beverage and hospitality no further ado let's bring in zoe and uh, zoe good to see you hey
1: jensen Jensen,
0: using a hard J, apologies. Yes, yes the uh, yeah, Scandinavian yeah, okay. Jensen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, I'm excited because you are starting off the book tour, right? Zoe's Gone a Kitchen uh, is hitting shelves mm-hmm. as we speak. Very excited for you and about that. You and I have gotten to interact on Clubhouse uh, another reason everybody get on Clubhouse, be active, engage, interact, uh, because you meet the greatest people when you put yourself out there and are compelled to find those stories. So I'm excited about that. Zoe also going to be with us on the Friday Food News Roundups on on Clubhouse as well. So a shout out to that. Great thinkers and leaders uh, around the industry, around the country, around the world speaking. To that and Zoe is definitely one of those uh, leading thinkers. Just those great voices. All right. So the book's coming out today, Zoe's Ghana's Kitchen. Uh, tell us just a little bit about that, because I want to like frame what we're gonna be talking about because this is the lens you're looking through and what you're bringing out to the public. And then I want to go way back, talk about your history, your trajectory, and the continent of Africa through food a little bit. Tell us about the book.
1: Yeah, so Zoe's Ghana Kitchen is a very personal exploration of the flavors, ingredients, and recipes of Ghana because I'm half Ghanaian, half Irish, i an English person through my parents' immigrant story. Um, and yeah, it's just a love of this cuisine and a desire within me to share it with as many people as possible across the world, honestly, because when I wrote this book, this was still considered a niche cuisine, probably still is, honestly. Um, and yeah, it's an introduction, it's a love letter to Ghana from me, um, and I want everybody to engage with it because everybody should be... Everybody by now should be knowing how to cook jollof, you know?
0: Let's go. I throw down the gauntlet. I love that challenge. I think it needs to become as synonymous in uh, American culture as as shepherd's pie. Like, I think we have the opportunity to create something new and and you're at the forefront of that. So you mentioned your Irish uh, heritage, right? And so I'm very interested that you talk about the diaspora a lot, the diaspora being people leaving a place Right. And so obviously you're not on the continent of Africa. You grew up in a very different home and lifestyle. I'm interested in that because sometimes there's a challenge that a lot of us face where there's a little bit of like imposter syndrome. I think about my own Japanese heritage and not really understanding it or knowing it and feeling like it made me other. So I'm very interested in what Mm -hmm. your, you know, upbringing was. How did that kind of either challenge or pain or joy that you had or missing something or feeling like something was was missing? How did that kind of set a trajectory? Talk about that for, for you.
1: Yeah, so growing up with two immigrant parents, especially you know when they came to the UK, the, the, the narrative was no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. So there's a lot of politics and social justice steeped in their very being in the UK. And then I, growing up in Southeast London, felt very disconnected as the first English person in my family, feeling very disconnected from English culture, like not really understanding it. Um, mm-hmm. However, having a really good lens of what Irish culture was like because we were able to go to Ireland very frequently in my childhood. In fact, almost half of it was spent on holiday at some, you know, every available school holiday was spent in Ireland. So I had this really strong sense of what that culture was, what what that meant for me as a human, right, in terms of my attachment to that culture. Conversely, on the other hand, Being in Southeast London, we didn't have uh, an extended Ghanaian family around us, didn't have any Ghanaian family around me whatsoever. And I certainly wasn't um, part of any Ghanaian cultural community, although it existed. My dad was very kind of, um, let's say an infrequent presence in my childhood. So it remained this huge mystery. However, when he was around, it was usually with food from Ghana. So what I discovered Uh, through my dad's cooking was that he was using that food as a tool to go home. Um, You know, for nostalgia reasons, for comfort, right? This is why immigrants cook the food from home is to be connected with home. And so from a really quite a young age, I understood that. In fact, that both my parents were doing that cooking to be reminded of home and to be um, related to home. And so I thought, yeah, food. Okay, that's my angle. That's how I'll get in there, you know. And so, yeah, from about the age of eight, I started being fascinated with the ingredients from the Kenke to the Shito to the, all the varieties of smoked fishes and stuff. And th- you know, this was to an eight year old. It was like, whoa, what is this? You know, right. these ingredients, right. the flavors, the smells, they was so, so different to anything else going on in the home and just anything else in my environment, honestly. So, yeah, food became this really important tool for me to attach myself to Ghanaian culture and my ancestry. And it just continued to develop you know, as I grew up and get older, and cooking became this tool um, that made sense to me in, like, connection with people. And as a latchkey kid, I used to cook for myself a lot. I used to cook for me and my sister a lot. And eventually, I used to cook for, you know, other latchkey kids, essentially, right. who I was friends with. So, yeah, you know, my friends were coming around, and I'd be cooking this food because I was so fascinated and in love with it and so i was already introducing it even like when i was in my early teens to like my neighborhood and my friends from school and stuff like that
0: that that makes a lot of sense to me it's a driving force in you to connect other people to what you were so compelled to connect with personally and i really appreciate that i also appreciate that you did it as a young age because again, I'll, I'll mention mine, the Japanese foods that my my obachan from Kyoto, Japan would bring were weird. They smelled funky, they were fermented. Like I was embarrassed that they weren't American. And so it wasn't cool to be Japanese or Asian when I was growing up. Now everybody wants to be on that hype train. And so it was, it was a challenge. And so I, I appreciate that you found that at a young age because I, I wish often that I had. Uh, have you, connected with family in Ghana. Have you been able to, to go to the content? What's your experience of Ghana beyond your family and kind of your personal trajectory cooking with those ingredients and those dishes?
1: Yeah. I mean, so there is another background narrative where I, I was in Ghana as a baby, like for the, when I was a toddler. So I learned to walk and talk and speak in Ghana and I hadn't been back to Ghana since then. So I went back in 2013, um, two reasons one to do that reconnection with my roots and ancestry and uh as a you know as a on another level uh to acquaint myself with my family and also honestly to get to to find out more about my dad because he still remains this largely mysterious character in my life even though he is he's present and everything but he has schizophrenia and for lots of other reasons Mm. unable to have that kind of conversation um so there was that and then on the other hand you know, I'd started this food business in 2010 with not much intention initially. And then the universe kind of kept giving me reasons to keep doing it. And I fell in love with the the, the very act of cooking for people even more than I already had. Like it became quite addictive. And so having all this fun, cooking with stuff. But really, I was only cooking eight to ten recipes that my dad had been cooking throughout my childhood. Right. So I had to go back to Ghana to really find some. Um, authority for myself in, in what yeah how we do we go back to the authentic to the in air quotes to the traditional to the original if you like in order to come back to the UK and feel confident that what I was doing was um, honest and um, accurate right but also to be able to like when I came back from that trip honestly I um, I came back from that trip with a lot of license to be able to extrapolate and reimagine those ingredients and dishes in new ways. And that's really what caught people's attention and imagination, I think, beyond. I mean, this cookbook has, and the cookbook was written off the back of that trip, right? But so it has lots and lots of traditional ingredients that I learned just from going into other people's kitchens on my journeys there in my grandmother's house but also it has the flip side of what i was doing in london which is reimagining these flavors together in new ways and creating new forms of Ghanaian food right because the diaspora to some extent were quite disconnected from their own food other than eating it in their parental home there weren't places for them to go out and eat it there certainly wasn't places for them to go and learn it necessarily either because um, Imagine. You know, we come, West Africa has this oral tradition, right? We don't have this written canon of cookbooks and recipes, so you're always relying on your grandmother to, to, to measure her pinches and her mm-hmm. whatever she's plopping in there. And most grandmothers don't, and especially not in the West African tradition. It's a very oral tradition. So I wanted it to be a resource for, first and foremost for people, and um, secondly, to be an introduction because you, it can only ever be an introduction you can't have one book that says it all you know uh, and that's what it is it's a so the book is a reflection of that journey um traditional recipes reimagined recipes and anecdotes from my time traveling in ghana and anecdotes um of me and my family and it's a lot of me in there it's all yeah you know, i'm not going to say it's just by good it's always gonna right, you certainly feel, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of me in there because it's really a personal celebration you know it's about this is my interpretation this is my celebration rather than this is a bible of what
0: this food is i i love what you're saying right now because you're not trying to be the authority you wanted to go back to gain some authority and be able to have license to make it your own because it is a personal journey you're not going to be able to recreate that that grandmother dish because you're not that Ghanaian grandmother. You're, that's just not your journey. And I think that's very important. You also, though, are taking the time, the effort, and putting in the the love that makes it very clear that it's the natural progression of the Ghanaian culture, the, 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 the people, the tradition, the experience, the joy and the pain, you know, all of that plays plays into that. And so I really appreciate that. West African. West African cuisine now is having a a, a moment it is not near big enough and it is not near understood enough. But I even hear that. I hear West African and I, I look and I understand some of the some of the ingredients. I understand some of the countries. But West African, what does that what does that actually mean besides the geographical nature of it? What is feeding into West African cuisine kind of Being individual from country and and region to region, but having a little bit of something that crystallizes that brings it together.
1: Yeah, I mean, because as I say, the African continent is still the last continent I consider to be fully explored when it comes to sharing are cuisines, right? And there's 54 countries in Africa. Even in West Africa, you got, what, Togo, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, uh, Benin, Ghana. There's 10, 12 maybe countries that are shorthanded as West Africa. Um, and the reason we have to do that still is because of the fact that we don't have a canon. It's not like Italian cuisine where there's been culinary works in motion for right. hundreds of years, right. People, when we talk about Italian cuisine, there's cookbooks from Tuscany, there's regional cookbooks, there's, we, we know that, um, you know, Naples is good for pizza. We know, we know where different things came from in Italy because of the long history of people writing about food and over a time people understanding the regional differences. We haven't got to that place yet when it comes to Africa and we still haven't got to that place yet when it comes to West Africa. And even less so have we got to that place when it comes to a specific country like Ghana. So mm-hmm. even in Ghana, because it's such a big country, of course, it's regional, right? The food of the Airway people, the food of the Volta, the food of the North is different to the food of the South and the West because of the environment, because of the customs and traditions and so on. So we're just not there yet in terms of an industry that can think beyond West Africa. So that's one reason why we talk about it like that.
0: It's, it's a little course, bit of a however, stepping stone, basically, to like make the world of that part of the world smaller so that people start to kind of like narrow their focus into looking at what's happening in that part of the world. Uh, but it it needs to be evolved into the countries specific and then the regions and the people beyond them. So this is just a long view of, of the work that you have to do. Is, is that kind of the way you're thinking about it? Exactly, yeah, and
1: like, this is like a drop in the ocean. Uh, I mean I'm really happy to see that next year there's going to be a lot more West African cookbooks in the world. I know you one day's writing one, I know Kwame's next book's out. There's lots more books coming and but until they arrive we're still talking about West Africa as one kind of lump really. Um, and once all those books are out in the world the next wave of books hopefully will get more specific and regional. But here's mm-hmm. what West Africa has in common. It has in common Um, A climate, right? And therefore, in the climate we have in common um, certain ingredients. So we pretty much all have yams. We pretty, we're going to all going to have, you know, certain grains. We're going to have certain pulses. We're going to have commonality of ingredients. However, we really do approach those ingredients in different ways, um, with different cooking styles, and with different um, because we come from different cultures, right, and different countries also have been colonized by other different countries, so there will be legacy from the colonial imprint um, in different countries, which will be added to those ingredients that make them specific to those countries and regions. So, yes, we have lots in common and in terms of ingredients, but we come to it, each of us, as a country and as chefs from those countries, or cooks from those countries, obviously with our own lens, our own experience and our own interpretations. So. Yeah, I, I'm still in that struggle of a place. I mean, I've mean, i been doing this for 12 years. And it's right. frustrating that I still have to talk about yep. West African cuisine, you know, in yep. that way, for it still to be such a big thing. I'm ready now to start narrowing that focus and let's start being a little bit more specific about what these countries have to offer individually. And I certainly don't want to be a spokesman, spokesperson, sorry, for West Africa, right? I don't have that authority. I can speak to the commonalities, but I can't necessarily speak to the customs and traditions in Senegal and how they differ different to Sierra Leone. You know, Pierre Cham, he's Senegalese, let him tell you about that part of West Africa. Um, Nigeria, let Michael Legbe. let Yawande, let all the other people, you know? So I'm Ghanaian, I have my specific experience of Ghanaian food and culture, and that's the experience I wanna share. I don't wanna be, um, any more put up as the singular voice around West African cuisine because uh, there's uh, plenty of space for us all to talk about it from our own points of views and I just hope that we will get the space to do that
0: It's good and I think you challenging think anybody who is a part of the audience that you currently have that you're looking to build or just at large just bringing in cuisine and culture to the forefront, I think challenging us to be able to say there is more and there is there is millions of people that are a part of this, both on the continent and across the globe. And so I really appreciate that. Let's talk about Ghana. Let's talk about the, the dishes, the the things that you have found through the people, the ingredients, the experience that like you want to have be on every thanksgiving dinner table right that it becomes so a part of every culture's cuisine and and let's say you know now you're united states based let's say in the united states that we start to adopt these as a, a something that is on every single table that isn't something that is so foreign to us because you're trying to introduce us to that what what is a dish what do we need to talk about
1: well, given Americans' obsession with peanut butter, we could start with groundnut because that is my favorite.
0: Very obsessed, food. yes.
1: Um, and it's an easy in, right? I mean, groundnut soup is one of those ubiquitous West African dishes because we all cook it. We all have a version of it. Um, and that's a really great introduction to West African flavor. But it, it's also one of the easier recipes in my book because there's nothing uh crazy wild in terms of ingredients everybody can get peanut butter tomatoes onion chili right and the basic uh parts of what form that dish and i think that's probably what's going to surprise surprise a lot of people when they interact with the book because they're probably going to be surprised at just how easy some of the dishes are and how translatable some of them are but yeah ground soup one pot delicious spicy sweet piquant, so comforting so um nourishing. I mean, for me, this is probably overused sentence I use about this dish, but I can't help it because it is how it makes me feel. It's like every mouthful feels like a hug. It literally feels like you're getting hugged with love, you know, with the eating of it. And when I cook it, it's like the most meditative, beautiful couple of hours because I don't know, there's just something about the cooking and the smells that come up when that, that dish is cooking that just takes me away to another place. And I, I wish that for everybody who cooks that dish. So let's get some peanut butter stew on the tables, America. And then next, yeah. we'll talk about something like Red Red. Again, super simple, but very, very common because A, it's one of those easy protein builders, sustenance, cheap to make, easy to make. Um, and because it uses ingredients like cow peas, which are very accessible, but then something very particular to West Africa or Africa, such as red palm oil, you know, it has a very distinctive uh, smoky uh, earthiness to it. That is, it will just take you straight to Accra, you know, and to have a dish like that, that is so simple, but can transport you. And is vegan if you want it to be vegan, but you can surf and turf it if you want to surf and turf it, you know, it's, um. It's a beautiful simple dish that is very evocative of place and then we can talk about of course jollof because we all have our versions of jollof as well i need to let people know by the way that jollof comes from right even though ghana and nigeria are always banging on about who does the best jollof it actually yeah. comes from senegal and it, the original name for the dish is benachin and um but it's cooked by the wolof people w-o-l-l-o-f so that tribe invented wolof jollof which is, it became jollof over the years. Um, so I urge people, I mean, and but again, it's one of those, it's actually in West African culture, in Ghana, it's a very much a celebratory dish, right? It's not eaten every day, even though the media talks about it like a national dish. It's actually a celebratory dish, so it's not consumed necessarily every day. Not it's a thing you have on Sundays after church, you have it at weddings, at parties and things like that. So in Nigeria, they call it party rice, I think, as well. And. Um, but, you know, that is one of those dishes, a bit like how um, Indian food has translated to the UK. Um, you know, in England, for example, everyone thinks they understand what a curry is, right? Curry has become a national dish. Right. Another conversation around that is whether, in fact, it is actually Indian to begin mm. with. But, you know, I would like to see jollof, because most people, when they've heard of West Africa, have understood that dish. I would love to see more people cooking that as a, on a regular especially with this kind of recipe which makes it so simple and easy to do so yeah i think some of those are the staples that a are easy to to get in with um in terms of accessibility ingredients in terms of how quickly they will translate you or transport you back to the place um, and take you somewhere especially if you listen to the soundtrack at the same time that's provided but also um there's a resonance right because something like red red is like the mother of um what's your, the is it there's a, a dish you have for new year um in the african-american community something like it's a, a black eyed bean dish you, I can't, the name of it escapes me now hoppin john's is that right
0: oh yeah hoppin john
1: it, that's it hoppin john um, yep. and hoppin john is a derivative of red red so there's you, oh makes you sense to start right. to see the similarities or like okra soup which is the mother of gumbo right and then if people start cooking these types of dishes, then they're like, it brings a new understanding to the diet you're already eating. Because you're like, oh, shit, now I get it, right?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so there you are. But they are the kinds of things I would love people to interplay with. And then, you know, if you're feeling, you know, spicy, you want to spice it up, or you want to get out of the tradition, then you know easy. You know I do. <laughs> there's lots of easy... Um, like recipes where I've reimagined what the cuisine is and just put these ingredients together in new ways and different ways, trying to encourage people to to celebrate the flavors outside of the rule book, if you like, of what is traditional, but just like bring the flavor in into every day. Like, I feel like something like Olbe or Cajun spice or these kinds of dishes that have become store cupboard staples, there's no reason why suya shouldn't be in people's cupboards. There's no reason why Keluole and Jollof and those kind of things as seasonings shouldn't be people should be using that on their roast potatoes on their barbecue on you know like it doesn't have to be just about oh i can't use suya unless i'm making chichinga or i can't you know there's lots and lots of applications for these ingredients and they make everything taste better you're just going to have to trust me on that i got 12 i trust you to say so. i'm
0: sold <laughs> i want to go all the places you just talked about through the food through the lens that you have and this is why this series, especially that tell your best story is like the stories that you just told us about those dishes, they were educational, they are inspirational, they were personal and global at the same time. This is what we need to do as, as food people to be able to express ourselves and be able to connect in a more meaningful and deeper way. And still at the same time, we talk about this, like the food is just the proof that you are who you say you are. And I believe that you are who you say you are just by the way that you express the food. And then that food hugs you and you get all of the feels. And that is just the, that's the transcendence of the journey, right? And that journey is so human and so personal to you and anybody to be able to be a part of that. So I'm excited to learn. I'm excited that so many of the things that you said today, I had no idea what they were, how to pronounce them or how to spell them. And I will go and I will find out and I'll learn from your book. And I will bring them into my home and I will cook for my my young kids. And they'll experience Ghana through you. And that's how we change the world. Truly believe that. So I'm excited about that, Zoe, we're gonna let you go. You got a lot of work to do uh, with Getting the book out there. It'll be linked up in the comments. Absolutely. And uh any any last words. This is really great.
1: Um no, I mean, books out October 19th, tomorrow. Mic drop. Please You're good. Get it, you know. And um, check out. Oh, I'm doing a crowdfunder right now for an anthology of voices and food called Serving Up with Unbounders. Please check that out and support if you can. And otherwise, yeah, I'm on Instagram all the bloody time. Follow me <laughs> if you want
0: all the time and on clubhouse with us starting october 29th uh fridays at uh, what time are we on 3 p.m eastern time get on to uh clubhouse on the uh, food news roundup club there and we're just going to be looking at uh at kind of the the headlines what's happening across across the world even uh in the food world as we want to we want to be good stewards of bringing more voices more information to the to the forefront and zoe is absolutely built for that. You are 100% a pure communicator and a a leading voice. So thank you so much. We'll let you get on with your day.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Edson. Bless
0: and love. Cheers. All right, everybody. That is it for this episode. Best of Podcast 351, New African Cuisine in the Diaspora with Zoe of Zoe's Ghana Kitchen. And once again, tell your best story. This is episode number 10. You know, that I am so motivated by the human stories that make up the food world. And Zoe clearly, clearly is so driven to be able to bring those stories through the food to the forefront. And we are happy, happy to have her and support. All right, that's it for uh, today. I appreciate you all. Go try some new food. Go experience a new culture today. Go buy a new ingredient. Go buy this book. Connect with your own culture connect with somebody else's culture coming around at the table is truly the way that we can change the world that's it appreciate you all cheers thanks for listening to the best served podcast subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at best served podcast tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes